Jesus came down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. John 6.38 And what was God's will? Well, there were many different facets to God's will. Obviously, Jesus dying on the cross and paying the price for the sin of humanity. But another element of that, why did Jesus come down to to be the perfect high priest. That was part of his mission. That was part of his duty. That was part of, of what God had ordained. And so today, as you guys turn back to, to Romans 8, we we take a look at this this process of the high priest. And, and that's just a, a piece or an element of, of the better covenant. When 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 you think of better. What are what are some things you know? You can kind of picture this in your own mind. What are some things that are better since you were a child? I mean, since Arden's not here, I guess electricity isn't can't be used. But um, <clears throat> but what what are things that are better now? Right? Cars are cars better? Um, how about things like a typewriter? Do our kids even know what a typewriter is anymore? Um, what about phones? Are phones better? No. Now, now, and I understand your your concern there, but think about this: these things that I just mentioned, just these three things—cars, typewriters, phones—they still accomplish the same exact goal, right? You 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 still get from place A transportation to place B, you know, a horse. A Model T. In fact, on days like today, a horse would probably be better. Um, when you think of a typewriter, it's it's just it's it's a typed message. It's a delivered message, right? Um, you think of of phones. Phones were made to to call people, to talk to people. And they they worked. I mean, the the long distance rates were crazy, but you know they they did they did work. I think of my father-in-law. My father-in-law is a, a land surveyor, and land surveying is a very fascinating and interesting field. And uh, you know, they they're the ones who kind of tell us where our property lines are, and you know what elevations are, and you know make sure that we have buildings that you know go straight up and don't look like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. But one of the things is is in all the math and all the the intricacies of land surveying. You don't need a computer. Now you can do it without. In fact, he learned uh, how to do it. You know, they just use chains, and the the links of the chains were their measurement. And that's why even today they call it the chain gang. Uh, he can use the stars to to do his calculations and stuff like that. He doesn't have to have uh, a, a fifteen thousand dollar little digital uh, recorder. That's a little computer that'll do all the calculations for you. Now I did when I was doing it, I had no idea. I just kind of hit these buttons and cosine and geometry and all that stuff was calculated for me. But here's the thing, I would have no idea if those numbers were even remotely close to right. Where there were times where he could look at it and go, oh, I know that number's not right. And, and maybe it was a human error hitting the wrong button, but he knew because he could go old school on that. Well, 
today we're going to look at this better covenant, the, the, the new covenant and the old covenant. Now again, it, it's one of those things, and, and I didn't realize this for a long time because it just kind of gets blurry and confusing, but we, we, we have to understand there's a, an Old Testament book, right? And there's a New Testament book that makes up the Bible. And, and generically speaking, what we're saying is there's the Old Testament is talking about and covering the Old Covenant, the Mosaic, the Levitical Covenant, uh, the, the bilateral covenant between God and Israel that says, if you obey me and you have the laws of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, then I will bless you. And if you don't, then I will curse you. And here's a sacrificial system for when you sin or disobedient. And here's high priests, and they're going to, to serve the temple and, and the sacrificial system. But there was always going to be a new covenant, a, a, a new system. That was a promise. That was a future promise, a better covenant. And then the New Testament then is the fulfillment through Jesus Christ. It, it's the, the coronation of the new covenant. And so here in Hebrews 8, we're, we're looking at the connection between the high priest and a better covenant. So today, a better covenant is seen in three ways, in, in majesty, in the mediator, and in mercy. And so back up with me just a little bit. He, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26, for it was fitting that we should have such a high priest. What kind of priest do we have? As opposed to the Old Testament, as opposed to the types of priests that were part of the Old Covenant? Well, we have a high priest who's holy. What does holy mean? Innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Now, no person on earth could ever claim uh, those descriptions. We have a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Why? Because this he did. He died once on the cross when he offered up not a lamb, not a calf, but himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak. But the word of the oath, what oath? The oath of the better covenant to come, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. This son, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. This is who we're talking about. And so it's always strange to me when you see different religions or even uh, you know, religions that call themselves, you know, Christians would then have priests. I mean, think about it. By definition, why would you need a priest? You have the perfect priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separate, and exalted, who offered up himself. Um, why would you need or want any other priest other than that? <clears throat> seems very very odd what does the priest do what are the priestly duties 
Jesus fulfilled them all. So again, why would you need a person to be a priest? And why would you need that person's duties that he would do? It, it makes no sense at all. So if all you knew about the religion was that they had priests, that should be a, a, a very, very fast indicator. Something's not right. Many of the, <clears throat> of the Christian churches that you know, would call themselves Christians, this is a, a, is a, is a key indicator of, of where their, their errors come. Because for them, they, unlike, you know, let's say uh, some, some false religion just has a priesthood, has nothing or no tie into the Bible or the Old Testament. When you take a look at something like Catholicism, what they're actually doing is directly tying in with the old covenant system. It's exactly what they're doing. That's why you go to the priest to do what? To confess your sins. To be the mediator between you and God. So that he can give you a blessing. Now, that, again, if that's all you know, should be a great indicator that, that something's not exactly right. It's not better. Um, by definition. And so, we learned that, again, last time that Jesus is, is pictured as this perfect high priest. He he's, was permanent, right? Eternal, lasting forever. So Jesus doesn't give up his title. And preeminent, there was no one better, no one more glorious, no one more magnificent. So, chapter 8 now. A better covenant, How? This is a better covenant in majesty. Verse 1. Now, the main point and what has been made it has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched, not man. So when you're reading a book, when you're reading a manual, uh, an instruction guide and it says okay here's the main point that's usually a good indicator that what's coming after it is pretty important right that it might be the main point um, well what then is is the the main point that 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 should be something that we are, are looking for so as we we tear tear apart the 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 words, the sentences, the, the paragraph. Well, what is it? The main point is this. Not man. This is the main point. Not man. That what has been said, what we've been talking about through, throughout the book of Hebrews, is that we have the type of high priest that's not a man. He was taken to the seat of the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. How could he do that? Why did he do that? Because he's not a man. He's a minister in the sanctuary. What sanctuary? The true tabernacle, the true temple that, that the Lord built, that God made. Again, not man. We, we, we've got to change our, our, our mindset here from from human to heavenly, from 
the ordinary man to something that's far greater. And what are the words that we see used here? Well, we see something like majesty. What is majesty? We don't really use that word a lot, do we? Majesty. I mean, we think of all the superlatives, you know, that they use in sports, right? Like they love to use, you know, war illustrations, battle, and stuff like that in sports. But you know what I don't really hear a lot? I don't hear that, you know, Tom Brady just, you know, won his sixth uh, Super Bowl championship. And, and you know, he's been there nine times. And he's, you know, is he the, is he the GOAT, the greatest of all time? He's so majestic. I don't ever hear that about him. Michael Jordan is majestic. Interesting. Why? Well, because in the term itself, it has this idea of dignity and magnificence. It's a grandeur and a splendor. It's glorious. And it equals this exaltation of awe. And it's interesting in all the terms that we've borrowed and adapted and used that people kind of understand that, you know, majestic is something really special. And so what you see here is this high priest is not a man. In fact, he is majestic who sits on his seat on his throne in heaven. You know, where's your recliner, right? Where's your seat? This is my chair. This is my seat. Um, well, I'll tell you where it's not. It's not in heaven. Okay? It could be in your bedroom. It could be in your workshop. It could be you know, in the living room. But it's not in heaven. This high priest is in heaven. Psalm 110. Psalm 110, written a thousand years before Jesus, says this. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. The Lord will stretch forth thy strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people will volunteer freely in the day of thy power, in holy array from the womb of the dawn. Thy youth are to thee as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. About what? about a covenant, about a promise, about an oath that he has made. What is that? Thou art a priest forever. Here what we see is, is this, in this psalm, this continuation of this promise, this oath that God has made to the people of Israel to give them a priest, not a man priest, a majestic priest, a priest that would be eternal forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at the right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. A thousand years before Jesus comes, there's a promise of, of, of a better covenant that's going to come. But it's going to come with, with majesty. There's going to be someone behind it that is not just some guy. Luther was incredible. William Bradford was incredible. But they're just men. Moses is just a man. 
This one would be majestic in his nature. He would sit at the right hand of the throne of God. And God tells us a thousand years before it happens, it's going to happen. This is no accident. This is God ordained. And that's part then of what makes this, verse 2, a minister in the sanctuary in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched. Again, not man. Well, what's being referenced here is back in, in, in the wilderness, back in, in, in the days of Moses and, and the people of Israel, what you see is this, this tabernacle, right? What did they do? Well, they pitched tents. It was, it was like camping. They were, you know, in the middle of the wilderness and they, they had their temporary fence around the tabernacle and it was, it was tents made by, by men, instructed by God. And what you see here is, look, the, the real tabernacle wasn't the tents, and, and it wasn't the pet David's palace or Solomon's temple, the ones made with beautiful stone and gold either. Those were not the true tabernacle. Why? Because those were made by man. This minister will reside in the sanctuary, in the heavenly, holy, majestic sanctuary made by the Lord. And so, these then were just pictures. They were just a foreshadow of something better to come. Something was going to come better. So our high priest is at the right hand of the throne of the majesty above. Not one that's here on earth made by human hands, delivered by human human priests. Well, the second way we see that this covenant's going to be better is a better covenant in in and through the mediator. How so? Verse 3. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Hence, it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law who serve or, or I'm sorry according to the law who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle for see he says that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator, the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. So a better covenant through the mediator. Well, first we see, uh, we see these, these gifts, right? Verse three, the point of the high priest the point, the duty of the high priest is to offer gifts and sacrifices to God on behalf of the sinner. That's why he's the mediator. He's, he's the one who goes between the sinful people and holy God, right? So what do you do? You appease God. You make the propitiation for sin, the payment for sin, the atonement for sin, through these animal sacrifices, through this, you know, these gifts, right? The, the first fruits, 
which could be grain, it could be wheat, it could be uh, fruit, it could be pigeons. There were all kinds of different sacrificial uh, ceremonies that were essentially gifts and blood sacrifices. Well, those were, were made by the earthly high priest. It was necessary. It was essential for them to do this, uh, to offer something. Now, if he were on earth, this better high priest would, would need to do that too. But he wasn't that kind of priest. And in fact, what we see there is, is this system was, verse 5, it just served as a copy, as a shadow of not more earthly things, not, not again, not a, not a tabernacle that would get better because it went from a tent to a golden palace, not, not a priest that would be better just because the next guy was better. It's going to be better because it's heavenly, it's majestic, it's divine. And so they were just illustrations. They're just foreshadows of things to come. Now, God gave Moses instructions. Why? Because he wanted to lay the groundwork from the very beginning so that Israel would have a clear picture of what was to come. And that then becomes their hope. That becomes their faith. They have faith in something that's to come, that's better, that'll work better. We look back towards the cross knowing that it's already happened. And so what, what do we see? What is revealed through the shadow? What, what's revealed then is this more excellent ministry. This mediator is a mediator now, not of that, that old system of, of here's, here's a lamb and I'll, I'll see you next year. You know, here's a pigeon and I'll see you in three weeks. Here's my, my grain offering and I'll see you in six months. You no, know, not, not, not the mediator of that, but a mediator of a better covenant. Uh, and this is the reference to the new covenant. We're going to see that in a, in a minute. Which has been enacted on even better promises. Remember the, and, and this is why we need to know our scriptures because God is so consistent and the thread that goes throughout from the first pages all the way to the end, we have this, this concept in the Old Test Testament of what? For so long, the promised land. The promised land. And the promised land was dirt. It was, it was a geographical lo location in the Middle East for the land of Israel. But the promised land is heaven. That's the promised land. That, that's, that's the great hope and promise. And so that was a promise to Israel that they would get this land. But there was a better promise coming. A much better promise. There was a, a hope that, you know what, if I take this, this lamb for my whole family, my whole family is going to be like forgiven of my sin, right? Well, there's a better promise than my hope in the Lamb, my promise is going to come from my hope in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. So that mediator then is, is, is the mediator of, of much better hopes and promises. Why? Because they last. They're eternal. 
they're eternal. They, they complete the maximum benefit of the whole sacrificial process and system. Again, think about kind of going back to thinking of the, the cars and the typewriter and the phone. Okay, the, the, the new stuff now completes a maximum benefit of what those things did and can do. They're much better. They have better benefits to them. And in this case, this is a completed benefit. Well, finally, we see a better covenant in mercy and mercy. Mercy is, we talk about grace a lot because grace is a beautiful thing. It's that free gift that we get, the absolute free gift of, of, and the promise and the hope of, of salvation, right? But that gift comes through mercy because what you do deserve, right, is a, is a nice free ticket to hell. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. And the mercy doesn't give you what you deserve. The grace replaced gives you a gift that you don't deserve. The kind of different sides of the same coin. But mercy has a, a different a, a different tone to it, doesn't it? A very different tone. And, and mercy is, a, is an important concept for us. Verse 7. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. So let's stop there for a second. It's not for you and I as deep theologians to really understand or explain the why behind the old covenant and the new covenant. It states it right here. Look, here, here's your argument. It, if the old covenant were perfect, if it were complete, then we would have had no need for the new covenant. Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross is in deep contrition and prayer to God and looks to God as, is there another way? No, there is not. This is the way. This is the better way. This is the completed way. If that were the case, then we wouldn't have a need for a new covenant. We wouldn't have a need for Jesus, to, to, for heaven to come down and, and, and for Jesus to die on the cross for sins. So by definition, we, we should understand that the second covenant is better. The new covenant is better. Verse 8, for finding fault with them, he says, and now he's quoting Jeremiah 31. Now he's quoting the better covenant. Now he's quoting what is found in Jeremiah 31 as described as the new covenant. Behold, days are coming, says the Lord. Days are coming. This is written about 600 years before Jesus. When I will effect a new covenant. So this wasn't a surprise to God. It's to, you know, take God by storm. This is part of God's preordained plan. I am going to flip the script. I am going to improve this phone. I've got bigger, better plans, right? And God states this 600 years before Jesus comes. I, who's going to affect this? God is going to affect it. I will affect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah at this time in Jeremiah. Israel is divided into two different company, or countries, one Israel and the other called Judah. 
Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers, the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, the covenant I made with them when they were wandering in the desert. Not, not like that one, for they did not continue in my covenant. They violated my covenant. Remember um, in Exodus 32, when Moses goes up to the mountain, and what do the people of Israel do? They make a golden calf and worship it. These are people who witnessed ten plagues, who crossed through the, the Red Sea, who saw water come out of a rock, who have manna and quail coming out of nowhere every single day in a pillar of cloud by day and night in a pillar of fire leading them. And what is their response? To make a golden calf and to worship it. They did not continue in my covenant. They did not keep the deal. And I didn't care for them. A nice way of saying I am angry, says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. So I'm going to do a new covenant. After those days, says the Lord, this is what I'm going to do. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them upon their hearts. Now, you may ask yourself, hmm, is that more gracious or is that more responsibility yes it's both it's very very gracious because all of mankind can never ever say I didn't know but it's also a high level of accountability as well again imagine that you are not born an Israelite you were born in a Philistine or a Jebusite or a Canaanite or an Egyptian and all you ever knew were these other gods and these other systems and these other ways. And here's this tribe of Israel and they're tiny and they're small. And they say, we worship Yahweh and we have a sacrificial system. And you're supposed to follow our laws. And by the way, you got to give up bacon, right? Um, well, no longer. It's a, we're, we're, God is going to, to write the law Onto the into their hearts and into their minds. Verse ten, and I will be, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen, and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Why? For all shall know me. This is a this is just a, a kind of a, a generalization, a summary of the new covenant that we see here. But part of what we're seeing here now is this transition from Israel because remember the law went through Israel the new covenant the law is going to be written on all mankind's heart all will know me not just Israel everyone's going to know me so Israel you don't need to teach your fellow neighbors or everybody is going to know me from the least to the greatest of them so I don't care if you're on a, on a little island. I don't care if you're dirt poor. I don't care where or what it is that you think that you have kind of your uh, excuse why you don't know God. Between Romans 1, God's saying, look, when I make a mountain, when I make the sun, when I make a tree, it screams the glory of my creation. Aside from that, I'm also going to write it and put it in your heart and mind. You know. And you know what? Every single 
idea, every single religion, every single false religion, they always begin with the, with the premise and the foundation of, first, I've got to deny God. And half of their arguments are based on fighting against God and fighting against Christianity and fighting against the Bible. It's like, well, why do you... That's an odd place to start, right? But they start there because they know inside that that's the truth. Even when you think of the idea of an, of an atheist, right? An atheist presupposition is to not believe in God. Well, why are you even mentioning God if you don't believe? I don't walk around saying, I don't believe in unicorns. Right? I don't, I don't walk around, you know, ripping unicorns out of little girl's hands. This is a lie. You know, right? I mean, you don't see blogs about the lies of unicorns and stuff like that. Because people know that, that it's a joke. It's make-believe. They also know that this God thing, is there's something to that. Why? Because it's, it's built into them. And then it's their rebellion. It's their clenched fist that, that rejects that at the end of the day. And what, and what is going to happen now? What is, what is this, this key point? First thing is the law in their hearts and minds. Second is... He's going to be the people of all nations, part of the Abrahamic covenant. And third, he is will be merciful to their iniquities. Verse 12, and I will remember their sin no more. No more need for goats and bulls and cows and does and sacrifices. I am just going to get it done. When he said a new covenant he has made, the first then becomes obsolete it's obsolete whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear so does anybody want to trade in their their 4x4 you know truck for a model T no the model T has become obsolete because of the new that has come in you know, we're seeing, you know, now we, we see the, the electric cars, you know, more and more and more. You know what? There's going to be a time where they'll all be electric and they'll, they'll laugh at people that are still, like, you know, using the gas, right? But it sounds so cool. It purrs, you know, that old engine purrs. Um, typewriters. You know, we have computers. We have, we have laptops. We have iPads. The, the these devices have made the the typewriter obsolete. We can even we can even make computers type out things that look like typewriters if you like that that look, right? Think of the phone, you know, and and the phone is a blessing and a curse, no doubt about that. But this phone, I mean, the old rotary phone, right? You know, you dial it up and. You gotta go all the way around the horn, then it comes back, and all the way around the horn comes back. You had a big extension cord, and you know if you were like I guess a, a rich family, you know your cord went more than three feet, right? Uh, that was cool. Remember when you walked into somebody's house and their cord went like around the? They're like, whoa, look at that, you can move. Um, think about what our phones do now. Your phone now, this phone here, is a computer. It's a recorder. It's this phone is better than most cameras. 
this phone is making like awesome cameras obsolete. Um, it's it's a it's a GPS map system. It gives you weather. It's TV. We can watch TV on it. Movies, uh, newspapers. This phone has made the other phones obsolete. There's there's no more use. The first covenant was limited because it wasn't majestic. It, it wasn't delivered by 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 men, by priests who were holy, innocent, undefiled, and separated. And the offerings were perfect as well. They were blemished. And so, we then have this better covenant. And we're going to learn more and more about, about why this covenant is better. But for today, we see that these are kind of the the, the, the ways the way the covenant became better essentially is because the pathway of a better covenant was through Jesus Christ that's why God had Jesus come down to make sure that this would be taken care of so, so that our better covenant in majesty the glorious the glorious perfect and heavenly and majestic king priest the Son of God Most High who sits not just on, a, on an earthly throne but in a heavenly throw, throne. We see this better covenant. Why? Because it's perfect. It was, it's preeminent. Um, and it's permanent. Permanent. Forever and ever and ever. And then ultimately this is a better covenant because it, it's it comes from a place of mercy that we all so desperately need and desire. Need and desire. I was thinking about, you know, this, the, the old and the new covenant, because we, we, it's in our human nature to question, right? It's like, well, why, didn't, why didn't he just start off that way? Why didn't, why didn't Jesus come in, in the Old Testament? And you know, for that answer, we, we don't know the exact timing of why other than we know that God's timing is perfect. But we do know this. Again, we know that this was all part, part of God's ordained plan. We see this so many times. When you, when you see prophecy in the Old Testament, when you see foreshadowing, when you see types, this is God just kind of putting these little like flags down. Look, this is going to be an indicator. And, and if we could look back, there would be all these flags everywhere all over so that you would know not a mistake I was doing uh, some just kind of looking at some research and you know George Lucas who's pretty famous for the Star Wars movies he actually had when, when they do you guys remember they did the re-releases of Star Wars movies well he'd actually embedded in a lot of the original filming technology that wasn't quite there yet the technology of THX, we're all pretty familiar with that now. It's like comes up on movie screens for like big action-packed movies usually. THX, right? And it's the sound and it's the, the digital camera work and all the stuff combined that, that Lucas had kind of created beforehand. But he embedded it into his original filming knowing that... The technology, the completion of it, it's coming. It's 
just not quite here yet. And so when they did the re-releasing of it, they were able to blend that in quite nicely. This is why when you look at, I just saw this the other day, an old, um, uh, there's a clip of the, the, the Superman with Christopher Reeves. It's like, well, you can't put that on TV anymore. It's, it's a joke. And we would all laugh at it. We thought it looked real when we were younger. But now the new kids would be like, look, you, you could totally tell this is, the technology's so bad, right? Um, but Lucas was, was ahead. Now, if George Lucas can be just a little bit ahead on some technology, believe me, our God is much more masterful than, than George Lucas. And all that to say is, this is part of the reason why we put our hope, why we, we, we stake our life on this book. Because there will be times where, where your faith is challenged. There will be times where because you look at your own personal circumstances and you just have a little doubt. But have no doubt. Have no doubt. This book is, is so incredibly unique and powerful. Um, that every time you, you turn a page, that it's, it should remind you over and over, there's no way. We saw two different occasions here that, that, that prophesied a thousand years, 600 years to the exact team. So when God's word can be accurate in prophesying things to come, well, some of the important things to come for us our forgiveness of our sin and eternal, and eternal uh, promised land in heaven. We can have hope and confidence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.